Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the Lord of our salvation. We thank you for the strength that we have through Christ who grants us his presence through his Holy Spirit. We thank you, O oh God, that you are among us. You promise not to leave us. In the granting of salvation, you have promised to stay, to abide, to remain. And you've invited us and called us to remain in you. So Father, we pray this morning that you would help us under the instruction of your word to take in what you are intending for us to learn and for us to apply to make happen in our lives, I pray, for your great namesake. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's nothing I think more difficult than saying goodbye to people who we love, who live far away from us and occasionally we get to have them with us. Most of you in here or many of you in here I'm sure have family members who live far away from you. And when you get together it's a sweet reunion but always in your mind you're thinking about yeah but this this is gonna to come to an end and we have to go away or they have to go away. Farewells are, diff are difficult. We've had our fair share. The last one was over a year ago when um, standing in the parking lot of Wendy's up at Taunton Grandma's weeping and the grandchildren are dancing around in great joy. It's always a great contrast. Pastor Kelvin is sort of my um, go-to person with missionary families and how that works because we're sort of new to it. I said, um, Kelvin, when you were uh, like a kid and you were going back to the mission field did you jump around with joy and everything like that while your grandparents were crying? He said, oh yeah. He <laughs> said, that's quite normal. We, we didn't really understand why they were crying. We were going back home and we were excited about it. So we had to live with this bittersweet. In fact, um, long before William Shakespeare put into the lips of Juliet, parting is such sweet sorrow, which is really an oxymoron. Jesus actually stood before his disciples and taught them the very same thing. The text that we're about to look at is embedded in what's called the farewell discourse, where Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's going away. And they were, they were crushed. They were heartbroken. And he's teaching them that 
In this case, parting is such sweet sorrow because I may be going away physically, but I am not going away. I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you alone. In fact, I'm not really going to be going away from you. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning, please, to John chapter 15? John 15. Jesus, in preparing his disciples for his departure, is putting certain things in place for them to nurture the ongoing relationship that he intends to have with them. They had no idea what that was going to look like. They had no idea what was even before them because this is on the eve of his crucifixion. This is, John 15 is the night before his crucifixion. His time of his departure is drawing close and they had no idea how this relationship was about to face the challenges it would and how it would continue. Jesus is simply presupposing here, of course, that his disciples do not want him to go away. They had developed quite a relationship with him. They loved him. He loved them. I mean, th this was an intense relationship that they had. The thought of parting was unthinkable. And Jesus is, is setting in place certain things with respect to relationship longevity. That's what God intends to have with his people. It's the pattern of the Father. The pattern that Jesus had in terms of his relationship with the Father. And make no mistake about it, as we, try, as we seek to understand at the, at the macro level that Christianity uh, is about relationship. It's about our relationship with God. All the other things that, that go into it are important, but fundamentally, foundationally, formationally, preservationally, Christianity is about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a relationship with God. That's the prize. The prize of God and the prize of us is our relationship with one another. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. This is about loving God. It's about us loving God and God loving us. And this relationship to Jesus gives us the ability to, to bear fruit, to, to grow in character, to experience the joy of God, to experience mission with him and eternity with him, all dependent on loving him. If there's anything I, I hope that you get out of the text this morning, it is that we are called to deeply deeply love God. Everything functions and works from that. And he deeply loves us. There's a horrendous dropout rate in Christianity. 
that many of us are seeing around us that seems to have escalated in these days. Maybe we're just hearing more about it, I don't know, but what is this dropout rate about? Why are people leaving Christianity? I have a few ideas. I'm convinced that it's based upon a Christianity that loved or liked other things beside God. It's a Christianity that just seeks to get along or a Christianity that was just part of family beliefs or tradition or maybe people who intellectually agree with Christianity or they just sort of fell into it by default or we're looking for cultural acceptance it used to be the thing in Canada be a Christian it's a Christian country perhaps it was social pressure from their own families their own friends it was just how you got along or, or Certain people just love discipline and they love rules and they love rule books. Christianity provided a book. But what has been missing in every single one of these people is a deep, deep love of Christ. And Jesus is calling his disciples on the eve of his departure to nurture a deep and profound love for Christ. That's up to us. He loves us. We are called to love him. And we're going to find out how in the text this morning. John 15. Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that, bears, that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What can we do apart from the Lord? I didn't hear you. Ah. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of God. So it's Passover time. It's on the eve of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He has his disciples with him gathered in the upper room. And he's teaching them. It seems to me that... Um, He had likely said to them, this is speculation, but trying to understand the connection between John 14 and John 15, what brought to Jesus' mind the whole vine idea. He was in the upper room. The upper room was located at the north end of the temple courts. He was on his way that night to the Mount of Olives. It's highly possible that he took his disciples from the north side of the temple courts in the upper room and took them in through the sheep gate of the temple courts appropriately since it was Passover, about to be the day of preparation, sacrificing of the sheep, and so for a visual for his disciples, they entered into the courts and the temple courts gates would have been open all night because at Passover time there were so many people in the city, they would have left the gates open all night. 
And so as he went in there, he walked by the holy place. And as they were looking at the holy place, they would have seen a large curtain, purple, red, blue. And over top of the curtain was a gigantic and growing sculpture of solid gold vine. Vine leaves, grape clusters. By the way, you're not looking at a real picture because they didn't have cameras then. But an artist rendering of what it might have been like. We only have descriptions. The descriptions are amazing. This gold sculpture. Wealthy Jews would continue to add to the sculpture. It was growing all the time. They'd add leaves of gold. They would add grape clusters of gold. It was stated that single grape clusters were the size of a man. Jesus and his disciples gazed at this cluster. I'm surmising. It was stated that when um, Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD by Titus, the Roman emperor, that the gold from this sculpture alone depressed the value of all the gold in Syria by one half. Josephus writes that. Today stands the place of the Muslim gold dome. Nothing like this. And then Jesus would have left out of the eastern gates called the Golden Gates, crossed the Kidron Valley and went up to the Mount of Olives to pray. We'll get there in a few weeks. There he was arrested. The Eastern Gate has been sealed ever since. You can't go in or out of the Golden Gates anymore. Not until Christ returns again. As usual, John chooses to record these events and teachings that are particular images and echoes of the Old Testament. That his audience might believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what? That by believing, they might have life in his name. And Jesus is teaching his disciples what that life looks like. What is it? How do you experience this life that Christ offers to you? This is what Jesus is teaching here. So what does it look like? What, what is this kind of believing? What did Jesus mean? Well, first of all, we have, to, we have to note what Jesus is stating here. Israel is repeatedly pictured in scripture as God's vine. If we look back at, at Psalm 80, for instance, 
in Psalm 80. Verses um, 15 to 19. Let's start at verse 14. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted. And listen, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Hint, hint. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. The prophet Isaiah writes this. I will sing, verse Isaiah 5, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left, and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A 10-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine, a homer of seed, only an if of grain. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, tambourines and flutes and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. And on and on the prophet goes. And to this... Jesus stands in front of his disciples and says, a virtually climate, theologically climate-changing moment, I am the true vine. Now, to us, it doesn't sound like much. To Israel? Then, to the disciples, then, this meant everything. Everything changed with this statement. This is the last of his I am's. I am the true vine. In other words, the vine of God has been taken from Israel and given to Jesus. I am the true vine, the holy space Israel formerly 
occupied has now been relocated to Jesus. Why? Because every Old Testament reference to the vine of Israel is to their disgrace, how they had failed God miserably. Whether it's Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 15 and 19, Hosea 10, you can keep hunting all throughout the Old Testament and you will find nothing but discouragement over how God's people had abandoned and defected abiding in God and loving other things. And Jesus says, things are about to change. I am the true vine. From now on, you can only belong to God and be tended to in his garden by being vitally attached to Jesus Christ. And this change includes Israel as well. Unless Israel attaches to the vine Christ Jesus, they have no life in the garden of God. A person, listen, this is a crucial takeaway for this morning. A person can only have spiritual life and grow spiritually from this point forward as that person is vitally connected to Jesus. So regardless of what religion you call yourself or claim, Jesus is the only way you can have a life-giving and eternal relationship with the one God of the universe. That's what this statement means. So what does this all mean to us who are believers, followers of Christ? What are the markers that verify your and my attachment to the true vine? Well, first of all, it means this. And I have a big first point. And then two little small points at the end that might not happen. So don't panic. It means this. To those of you who believe you are attached to the vine Christ Jesus. Jesus has appointed you to be abiders. To be connected. To have life in his name. To be a conduit of Jesus' life. Jesus has not appointed you to be attenders of church. He's appointed you to be abiders in Christ who attend church. There's lots of plucking, lots of pruning, lots of praying that goes on in God's garden. And I want to draw some things together for you this morning. But I don't want you to miss the most critical point
the whole operation of Christianity, the whole operation of the Holy Spirit, the whole kingdom enterprise is summarized in loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. And nothing could be more applicable to this text than that statement. It is the crux of how this works in our lives. It's important for us to know that when Jesus was calling disciples, in Mark 3.14, the first statement that's made is this. Jesus appointed 12 to be with him. And then he sent them and then he gave them authority. But it starts here, to be with him. Beloved, listen, so critical is this to us. The metrics, the metrics of, of our fruitfulness as a church, the, 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 the measurement of, of this ministry is not based on our numbers. It's based upon our abiders. It's based upon those who really deeply love Jesus Christ. Christianity is about God calling you to be with him and for him to be with you. The giving of the Holy Spirit is that God might be with us and that we might be with him. That God might not leave us or forsake us and that we might not leave him or forsake him. All of this, the, the teaching that Jesus is about to give is crucial to what it really means to be a Christian. The goal of God is to have people to love him and for him to love. It's his goal. That through Christ he might be glorified in this. to be with people who want to be with him. Heaven is about being with God. The people who will be there are those who want to be with him and have demonstrated it in their current lives. That's what Jesus is saying here. And God is the gardener of his garden. The Father is the gardener. Jesus is God's life-giving vine to the people who must be attached to him. Attached by the gardener. He cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit. He talks about those who are, he says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You, you are clean by the welcoming presence of of the word of God in your life, the welcoming presence of the salvation power of Christ through his words. That's what makes us clean. In fact, Jesus uses the same word when he's talking a few chapters before when he was washing the disciples' feet. He came to Peter and Peter said, no, you know, you're not gonna wash my, you're not washing my feet. And he says to Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. He says to Peter, you are already washed you are already clean, literally, same word. But I must 
clean your feet. This is the same thing Jesus is saying here. You who belong to Christ are clean, but you need to abide. You need to be pruned. You need work done on you. So let's look at this. Let's look at this. Our call to belong to him, to love him, is about producing fruit, character, and action according to the plan and purposes of Christ for us. Why he called us into his, his relationship in the first place. And I want you to notice in verse 3 that the key to fruit is remaining. It's attachment. Attachment begins with believing. See what he says here? You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now remain in me and I'll remain in you. You can't bear fruit unless you remain on me, in me. The only possibility of a person bearing fruit at all is intimacy with Christ. It doesn't come from busyness. It doesn't come from skill. It doesn't come from talent. It doesn't come from hard work or correct systems or correct paradigms or even church attendance. Bearing fruit only comes from intimacy with Christ. Preaching is useless unless it comes from intimacy with Christ. Whatever you teach, when you teach Sunday school, it, it bears no fruit unless it comes from intimacy with Christ. Worshiping, worship team participation, choir singing, Gathering to worship bears no fruit unless it comes from intimacy with Christ. Without Christ, you can do nothing. None of what we spend much of our time doing actually produces fruit. This John 15 should be your companion volume to every day of your life. What should I be doing today? Oh, I should be abiding in Christ. How do I do that? Well, the key to fruit is remaining in Him, but notice in verse 10, the key to remaining in Him is obedience. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Jesus says, I'm not asking you to do something I haven't been doing. This is what I've been demonstrating to you. I've been showing you how to do this. I obey the Father because I love him. And I'm calling you to the same thing. The key to remaining, the key to my relationship with my heavenly Father was my intimacy with him, obeying him because I love him. And I'm calling you to the same thing. Your remaining, the key to your remaining is obedience. So the key to fruit is remaining. The key to remaining is obedience. And the reward of obedience is experiencing the love of God back and the joy of Christ. You see what Christ says here? I have told you this, verse 11, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy is not complete until the joy of Jesus is in us. And the joy of Jesus is in us when we are obeying his word. And 
This obedience, by the way, isn't from some sort of vacuum. He says, I call you my friends. Why does he call us his his friends? Because friends share with each other plans and dreams and wishes and ways of doing things. That's what friends do. And Jesus says, I have made known to you the plans and the purposes, the love of God, the character of who God is. I've told you all these things. I'm not calling you to obey out of some sort of vacuum. I'm calling you to obey what you already know is good for you. And you know this, beloved. You know what God has given to us in his word is good for us. You know it's the right way to live. You know it's the way that you will experience the joy of Christ. You know it's the way that you will experience the peace of Christ. You know it's the way you will experience the love of Christ in its fullness. You already know this. And Christ is calling you to enjoy this, to enjoy the friendship you have with God who lets you in on his life, his purposes, his plans. Do you not know the purposes of God? Do you not know his plans? Do you not know that they are good? That they are for your good? So how will I obey? (laughs) The key to obedience is love for Christ. Jesus said to them in the last verse, verse 31 of 14, But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. How how can you and I obey Christ? There's only one way. You must love Him. Because if you love Him, you will obey him in the same way as he demonstrated his love for the Father. He said that the world might see this, that I love the Father. How will the world see that Jesus loves the Father? By obeying the Father. How will the world see that you love Christ? By obeying Christ. How, do you, how can you look in the mirror and know that you love Christ? Or how can you know? By obeying Christ. If you're looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I'm not obeying Christ. I don't want to obey Christ. I'm not interested in obeying Christ. I'm not going to obey Christ in this thing. You're looking at a person who doesn't love Christ. How can we have the courage and convictions to obey the word of God even when it's hard? we love him and we know he loves us just knowing the scriptures doesn't help you it didn't help the Pharisees it hasn't helped scores of Bible heads who have gone on to an eternity without Christ Satan knows the Bible better than you or I. The demons know the Bible better than you or I. 
They don't love Christ. The motivation to obey the scriptures is the love of Christ. I'm going to wrap it up with this. The key to much fruit is pruning and praying from the script of Scripture. So let's, let's see the interconnections here. The goal of God is to have people to love who will love Him and bear fruit in His garden. The key to fruit is remaining. The key to remaining is obedience. The key to obedience is love for Christ. But Christ wants you to bear much fruit. Because this is to my Father's glory, he says in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. How do we bear much fruit? We bear much fruit by cooperating with the pruning work of God in our lives. Let me touch on that for a moment first. Because it says in verse two that every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now maybe most of you aren't agriculturally savvy here, or garden savvy for that matter. I'm not very garden savvy, but I try. I told you about apple trees I had in my backyard that for a, over a decade gave me nothing more than one or two apples. They were not bearing much fruit. In fact, I told you that I was going to cut these trees down because they were just taking up space in my backyard. But there was a guy in this church. There's a guy in this church. He'll show up at the second service probably. So that's when he comes. He's a tree whisperer. I, I'm telling you the truth. He heard the sermon and he said, I'll fix your apple trees. He came over. And my backyard was full of sticks on the ground. And then he left. And the next year, or that year, I had a bumper crop of apples. It's amazing what pruning will do. And this is what Jesus is saying is needed in our lives. You're clean. If, you, if you're attached to the Lord, if you know him, if you know Christ, and you already have the life-giving work of God going through you, you're already clean. It's the same word, by the way, of pruning. It's cut. It's, just, it's an interesting thing, relationship. But you need to be pruned. Do you think the tree, do you think my trees liked the pruning experience? Uh, looking on the ground and all the branches that were cut off, I'm thinking there was a lot of ouch going on if trees could speak. And so it is with our lives. If you really belong to the Lord, there's going to be lots of ouch in your life. You already know this. Because he's pruning. What is he pruning? He's pruning strength sapping stuff. Branches that are all leaves and no fruit. Stuff that's shading 
fruitful branches from the sun. S-U-N in gardening, S-O-N. He's taking stuff away that is distracting you, is, is in the way, is, is taking energy from you that you need to serve the Lord with all of your heart. Suckers, we call them in gardening. He's removing suckers from your life. I won't go too deeply into that discussion. Useless branches. Why might you not be bearing fruit? You might not be even attached to, to the vine at all. Not even a believer. If you're not bearing fruit, it may be because you're not a believer at all. Or you have other loves. You're distracted from obedience. You're resisting pruning. Maybe you're choosing to sin rather than to love Christ. Maybe you're trusting in other attachments that will give you life outside of Christ. Maybe you're angry at God. You're not loving him right now. Maybe you don't understand his love fully. Maybe you, you don't trust him. Maybe you're skeptical of his word and obeying his word. You're skeptical of his goodness that this pruning is not going to amount to something good. I, I'm not sure what's happening in your life, but I can tell you that, that every branch that is attached to Jesus Christ will be pruned. Everyone. And that's how we bear much fruit. We secondly bear much fruit with praying. Look what it says here. Verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, pray. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. Really? Now listen, can I just, can I ask for a Bentley? Will it be in the parking lot when I get out of church here? Well, let me ask you this to answer that question. If you're remaining in Christ, really close to the Lord, and his words are in you, all his scripture, do you want a Bentley? Now, everybody knows they can't say yes. <laughs> you can't say yes now. You will only want what Jesus wants. You only wish for what Jesus wishes for you. You will only ask for what Jesus would ask for. So yes, God will answer those prayers. And in that way, you will be asking to bear much fruit. Because that kind of prayer, combined with God's pruning, produces much fruit in your life. This is the guarantee of Jesus. And my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And I can close with this. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Sit, folks. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And his command is, and love one another. 
as yourself. And if you do, you will abide in Christ and you will bear much fruit because he will prune you and you will pray the right way and God the Father will be glorified and you can look yourself in the mirror and know for a fact that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our Father, we pray this morning and thank you for the awesomeness of your word to us. And we ask, O oh God, that we would settle for nothing less than abiding in you, remaining in you, attached to you, O oh God. For your great name's sake, I pray. Amen. So remember that Jesus was standing with his disciples, 12 of them. And he, when he was telling them about the vine, he said there are branches connected that never bear fruit. And the gardener cuts them off and throws them in a pile to be burned. I'm guessing that he was looking at Judas at that point, one of the twelve had been hanging around with Jesus but was not connected to him and was going to betray him. In any given group of people like this, there are people who are copying Christianity. They're hanging around in the Christian culture, maybe church attending, but they don't bear fruit because they're not really connected to Christ. They've never come to a, a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've just been somewhat connected to the culture of Christ but not connected to the heart of Christ today's message is for a variety of people those who might be bearing fruit but not much fruit and those who might be here who are bearing no fruit because you're not really connected to Christ So, um, as you think about these things today and as God is speaking to you, you need to ask yourself a question. Am I really abiding in Christ? Am I really drawing life -giving, my life-giving source from Christ? Do I love Him with all of my heart, all my mind, soul, body, and strength? Do I long to be with Him? Do I obey His word? Do I love his word? Do I pray? Do I call out to him? Am I seeing changes happen in my life because of what God is doing in my life? I can look myself in the mirror and say, I really love Jesus. Or 
are you just hanging around in Christianity, hanging around with Christians, but you don't have any real desire for his word, you don't obey his word, you don't call out to him, you don't love him. This is a decision between life and death, between eternity and destiny. So he calls you today. He calls you to those of you who are saying, no, you know what, I, I think maybe I don't really know him. Maybe I'm not really abiding. Maybe I don't really love him. Maybe I don't really know him. Maybe I've never really been attached to him. Well, today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day. If God is calling your heart and saying, that's me, you're talking about me. And, and I want to have a relationship with him. I want to know, I want to experience the joy of Christ. I want to experience the love of Christ. I want to experience the peace of God. I, I want to know what it is to be in a, a family that loves one another like believers do. I, I want that. If God is calling you to that, our pastors will be here. We'll have pastors in the connections room. We'd love to talk to you. Or maybe the person you came with who knows Christ, who loves him. Talk to them. But don't go away from here without being connected to the vine, the life-giving vine, Christ Jesus. Today's the day of salvation. The offer is open to you. Father, I pray this morning as you work in hearts, your saving work, your sanctifying work, your fruit-bearing work, your pruning work, your praying work, oh Lord. I pray, Father, today for good fruit to be born. In Jesus' name, amen.